uncertainty, sadness, weariness, old stories, old habits, old conversations, old ways. Are you ready for something new? A new year. New possibilities. New opportunities. God's invitation to something new. Make it awesome. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church today. It's very glad to have you. I'm very glad to have you here with us today. And particularly if you're a visitor with us today, welcome to First Christian Church. To everybody here in the West Auditorium, to everybody who's in the East, I was over there just a moment or so ago, and we've got a nice gathering over there. And anybody who might be online or gathering with us at down in Lovington, we're very glad you're with us. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. And if you'll take your Bible, turn to Psalm 128. If you have a Bible with you, it's right in the very center of the, of the book. If you have it on your smartphone or tablet, we'd, I'd invite you to do that. Psalm 128, we'll be reading it a number of times throughout the morning. Uh, while you're looking for that, Pastor Brian and I were recently out of town on the church's behalf. And along the way, we stopped at a gas station. And it was one of those gas stations that's been recently constructed you know, you've got outside where you've got a lovely awning, so, and it was raining, actually, so we, didn't, we weren't getting rained on, we were getting gas, and then we went into the store, and the shop inside was clean and bright, modern, convenient, and um, newly constructed, and, and as we walked in the door, there was this um, machine which, in an age of COVID, seemed rather odd. I mean, this is like 10 days ago that this happened. And, uh, and it was a love, there was a sneeze guard there, but it was set back quite a ways compared to where these things rolling around were. And I just got to wondering about the whole idea of eating processed food that's been sitting on that roller for two weeks um, <laughs> and COVID and all that. So you, it, it just, well, well, it got me wondering. And in the midst of my pondering, I, Brian came over and I said, Brian, look at this. There's quite a lot of engineering involved in this thing right here, if you think about it. I mean, you've got electrical issues, you've got heat management, you've got to make certain that those aluminum tubes are constant the right heat and they're turning right, and um, you've got to make certain that there's the right size so the hot dogs don't, or whatever those things are. I've never had the guts to try one, ever. But nonetheless, and I, I said, who thought this up? Who designed, who came with this idea? I mean, think about it. Was there someone in the fourth grade? My fourth grade teacher's name was Miss Hogan. Was there, was somebody sitting in a Miss Hogan's class in the fourth grade say, when I grow up, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a food engineer and I'm going to design something that rolls like this and I'm going to have it go in every gas station across America during COVID. That's what I'm going to do. And I want it so those things can roll on that thing for three weeks and no one will never know. With that, that was running through my head and chatting with Brian. Then I thought, well, who manages this machine? 
now that it's built. I mean, does somebody sit in the fourth grade class and say, here's my career, I want to spend my career managing those things that go around. And at that very moment, a young man stepped up. He stepped into our conversation with some rapt attention to the fact that I was videotaping his hot dogs going round and round. And um, can I help you guys get something off the grill? I thought, no, thank you very much, but nonetheless. It was his job, and manning the grill was his responsibility, and I don't know that he was too thrilled, frankly, that some old guy was videotaping what was his job. I mean, after all, what is his job? He takes these frozen something or others out of cardboard boxes and sticks them there in hopes that they will cook. But to his credit, he was very serious about his job and wasn't going to let anybody mess with his stuff. Do you like your job? Do you like what you do for a living? Is what you do for a living, is it what you daydreamed about through Miss Hogan's fourth grade class, wondering, what's my career going to be? What will I do? In other words, what's your job? What do you do for money or for income? Perhaps you don't do anything for money anymore. You're now retired, or perhaps, no, perhaps you're unemployed right now. But if that's the case, what do you do in place of that employment? Is there a hobby, a volunteer role, a project that occupies your, ten- your attention? Those of you who are in high school or college are starting to think, what's my job going to be? Where are you in all of that? Perhaps your responsibilities also don't actually bring you income. But instead, you are living your life so that your spouse, your job is to create an environment where your spouse can take on a job at the other end of your driveway and your spouse goes to the end of the driveway each day, each day and takes off for a while. And in the meanwhile, you're responsible for everything, the house side of the, of the street, if you will. What does scripture say about this business of work and employment and what we do every day? Read with me Psalm 128. All right, it goes like this. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord. And one way to think about that would be to say, all who are, stand in awe before the Lord, who acknowledge that God is God. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. This, that's, that verse, first verse has really been the backbone of this whole series throughout January. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And then he goes on and he says, if you walk in obedience before the Lord, this is what happens. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This will be the blessing for the one who fears the Lord. May the Lord then bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children and peace be on Israel. You've heard me say in the last few weeks that this is a great approach to life. This is, this is a, a, if you will, an, our understanding of spirituality, our daily walk. And then last week, Pastor Brian helped us understand um, how Psalm 128 can help us in our relationships. That if we stand before God and walk before him in obedience, then that helps in our relationships, all sorts of relationships, whether we're married or single and so forth. It's really a psalm of blessing. It's a, it's a psalm that describes the parameters of God's goodness, and there are all sorts of discussion about households full of joy and laughter, children, prosperity for each day of life, and um, even for the generations to come, how's it going to be that if I stand in awe before God, if I walk honestly with some integrity before him, then I can think about how that's going to impact the generations to come. 
It's about making life awesome, as we've been talking throughout this series. But I want to focus today, particularly on verse 2, which says, You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. It's obviously a discussion about what we do with our daily responsibilities in earning a salary or, if you will, creating a financial base of well-being for our households. Again, whether we're single or married. And, and how, do we, how do we take the stuff we do every day and make it awesome in 2021? Whether we work or whether we're retired, whether we're looking for work. The psalmist is praying. He's giving an, an aspiring description of the results of a career, if you will. Blessings and prosperity, and where you can say, okay, it's not based on how much money you have or how much money you make, it's based on, can you think about how this is impacting the next generation? At least that's what he says. But on the other hand, we have to ask, is it just wishful thinking? I mean, does it really relate to our world? After all, this psalm is some 2,500, 2,600 years old. And the life of people in ancient Israel two and a half millennia ago, does it really sound like ours? I mean, they didn't do, deal with the things that we deal with. This is pre, pre-technical revolution. This is pre-industrial revolution. This is pre the understanding of Western ideology, the ways in which we do life. This is pre-enlightenment. This is pre-printing press. Does Psalm 128 relate to contemporary life? What does the Bible say about vocational life and vocational decisions? Well, according to Psalm 128, it says that a righteous, God-honoring person discovers some prosperity, some financial well-being, some, if you will, a sense that things are taken care of as a result of vocation. If you go backwards in the book of Psalms, just one psalm, it also, Psalm 127, also has some comments about our work. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders, the people who are, have a career building, unless they build with the Lord, their building is in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards, those who have a career guarding, these are the military poli- people, the police, the, however you want to say it, those involved in, in, in uh, security, the security people, unless the, the Lord watches over the city, the security people stand watch in vain. You could live in a place where in vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food or eat. What does that mean? Well, theologian Alan Ross says, put the two statements together and we can understand this. If you read Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, you can understand this, that work Laboring in anxious independence of God won't get you anywhere. It's vain. But if we work under God and obedience to his ways, our lives are taken care of. In other words, your vocation brings some results. This, my career, my vocation, you know that word vocation? These years, we do use that word as if it's synonymous with career, But that's a relatively new development in English. The word vocation as using it as a career actually didn't start till very early in the 20th century. Prior to that, that when we said somebody had a vocation, vocation was a calling that was reserved for clergy. 
It was a religious calling. If you were a priest, if you were a nun, if you were a pastor or a minister, if you were clergy, you had a vocation. It was a religious calling. Cl vocation was what clergy did during the day, if you will. Non-clergy had a job. So you had vocation, you had a job. But starting at the beginning of the 20th century, those two terms merged. And I'll be honest, I'm very glad that the word vocation has been hijacked by the secular culture. Here's why. Because as people of Christ, people who say, I want to I walk with God, I want to do life with God, then we believe all of our work, everything we do every day is a calling. Perhaps you're a plumber. Perhaps you're somebody who's been graced with the tremendous ability to work as a nurse. Perhaps your talents are found in computations or engineering. Perhaps, again, this side of the driveway, your job is to think about how's the house clean and how are we dealing with our children and making sure that they laugh in the day. That all of that can be a vocation if we're walking with Christ. It can all be a calling because it goes back to the creation story. When you think about the book of Genesis and the story of humanity's development, we, we have this understanding from the story of, of Genesis that when humans came into being, Adam and Eve were given a job. They didn't just wander around the garden all day. No, before sin entered our common history, Adam and Eve were supposed to do two things in terms of a job. They were to work the garden, like plant food, and then secondly, they were to name all the animals. Now, we know that sin entered into their story, and sin messed everything up. Sin messed up everything that is related to humanity, including our jobs and our vocations. Because once, the scriptures tell us that once sin entered into the story, then this business of work moved from having something to do with a, with a sort of this joyous daily activity to it then became feasible that our jobs were sometimes best described as drudgery. However, I would say this. You say, well, I don't want to do drudgery, and I'm not really interested in a job. But I would say, friends, that's not really where Scripture would put you. Because a life approach of avoiding a vocational calling is not in your best interest. Because you know what it does? It denies the value of your humanity as God made humans. God made us to be industrious. God made us to accomplish things and to take care of things. And when we do that, we have a sense of, of self-worth. So choosing a daily activity of employment or action or plans and decisions it increases our humanity, and as a congregation that's always concerned about how our humanity is being expressed and the value of human, human life, that's why we choose to be a, a pro-life congregation. We say that it's important that we lift up the value of human lives. To that end, I would remind you, uh, this month, as you leave worship, you can pick up one of these. We're helping out New Life Pregnancy Center. You take one as you leave worship today in both auditoriums, or if you're online, there's a place where you can go online and get, figure out how to get one of these, and fill it up with your change, and over the next month, as it gets full, bring it back, and we'll just, we literally, every year, we pack up boxes of these things, seven, 800 of them, by the time we're done, and we ship them all over to New Life Pregnancy and say, you count it. <laughs> Why? 
because we value life. Um, you know, I've had a number of jobs throughout my vocational career. I haven't always been clergy. I mean, I sold ice skates in Sears at 16 years of age because I wanted to buy a car. Uh, right after high school, right uh, first thing, right, as graduation was occurring, I went up to Mackenzie, British Columbia, way up northern Canada, and I spent the summer up there driving a forklift in a logging camp right out of high school. I taught piano while in high school during my junior and senior years. Um, during college, um, I had the same job in between semesters every year. Uh, and I worked in a steel manufacturing facility and I was a rebar bender. So, some of you know, what's that? Well, it's rebar that goes in concrete and you bend it to shapes based on the, the blueprint in front of you. I did that. Those were, those were long days, I'll tell you that. At one point right after our daughter's birth from while I was pastoring in Tulsa, I went to the church's leaders and said, I, I think I need to get a second job. It was a small church and they were being generous, but I needed some extra income. So they said, sure, go ahead. So I went down to the local um, garden shop and started uh, right at Christmas time selling Christmas trees. And I did that for a lot of, well, I didn't sell Christmas trees for a lot of months. After Christmas is over, we went into the spring season and um, it went along from there. And I had a lovely time doing that. Two jobs at once. At 15, my parents announced that they wanted to um, have the family visit Australia because we had immigrated from Australia four years previously and wanted to go back and see grandma and grandpa and all the aunts and uncles and the cousins. And they said, we're going to be very careful for the next few months. It's going to take us about six, seven months to raise the money for us, you know, to save up money. And I was the oldest child at 15. I'm thinking, well, I can help out. I can maybe pay for some of my airfare. So I hopped on my bike and started visiting um, local businesses to see if I could get a job. 15 years old and inexperienced, but sure enough, I got a job at the local bakery. The local baker needed help. Now, it was a family business. He was Dutch, with a very, very thick Dutch accent, which sometimes I didn't understand what he was saying to the point where I learned he had a very bad temper as well. Um, yeah, I learned that the hard way. I watched him and participated. Um, he was in charge, obviously, of, of all these different baking endeavors, but I learned a lot. We made bread and sweet bread and cakes. We made wedding cakes with elaborate icing designs. We made all sorts of petit fours and croissants, and he said to me in his one of his better moods, taste anything you want. <sighs> An old European bakery, man, there were some things to taste. I learned about yeast. I learned about rising cupboards that have steam in them that make the bread rise faster and thus you can bake it more quickly. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot about washing dishes mostly. And I learned a lot about carrying heavy sacks of flour on your shoulder to bring them in from the, out, from the, from the place outside. Um, the, the sweet pastries. <sighs> can I just tell you? They were spectacular. He baked, his wife ran the shop, and he had four helpers, me and his three teenage daughters. We were all, the teenagers, we were all about the same age. Two were a little bit older than me, and one was a little bit younger than me. And, uh, well, you know how that went, don't you? It was the perfect setup, the whole thing was the perfect setup for a, shall we just say, a hidden teenage love affair with donuts. I grew to love donuts. 
Donuts are spectacular. I love donuts so much that I once told Ed Culp, you know, maybe some of you may know Ed, uh, was a sheriff's deputy for many years. I said, I love donuts so much, I could be a policeman. And he just looked at me, you're so bad, you're so bad. And if you're a policeman, I know you don't go around eating donuts, but if you do, can I apply? I'm up for it, okay? Some of you are thinking, Wayne, fair enough, whatever. That's all good for you. Now, you maybe did all those things for a period of months or years, but now you have a different job. You have a vocation that sometimes other people admire. God called you and gave you a special place in the workforce. But what about me? I hate my job, some of you are saying. Or some are saying, I hate staying at home every day where the biggest thing I get to do on the day is to figure out what's the menu for tonight. I deal with the same issues with the kids day after day. Or some of you are saying, COVID has done a number on our household and I've lost my job and my ongoing income. If you would be in that setting or one of those settings, fair enough. If so, can I help you consider some new insights? We have to go back to Psalm 128 for that. Here's a slide that we used back in the first weekend when we gathered in January. It's a rewrite that I put together of Psalm 128. See if it applies to you. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. That's what we're talking about today. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your spouse will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the one who fears the Lord. That screen's gonna stay up for just a moment or two because I want you to take a look at where verse two is about the fruit of your labor. There's no accident in the way in which scripture is written. Notice where verse two is placed. The setting of the psalmist talk about labor and work and a vocation, the fruit of our labor. Notice it's set within the context of household health. It's not just some off-random passage of scripture. No, it's set within, if you want to understand the totality of your life and thinking about generations to come and households and so forth, in the midst of all that is this business of labor, the laughter of children, the blessing of walking with God. It's all connected together, some work, a vocation. Apparently, they're all tied. In other words, in the midst of your struggle about your vocation, in your calling or your job, may I remind you that work has value for your household. See, in our culture, too often it's just divorced. From, I mean, this is just my job. This is, what I, this is what I have to go do every day. But I'd like to help you understand your vocational calling in a culture of just work. There is a difference there. See, work has value for your household, friends. Working, either joyously like they did before sin entered into the garden story in Genesis 3, before sin entered into humanity, if that's what you get to do, work joyously, great. But some people have to work in drudgery. I understand that because of the way in which sin has entered humanity's story. But regardless of where you are on those extremes where it's great joy, it's great drudgery, may I remind you that in the midst of all of that, the scripture says that doing your job has value for the sake of your household. It's, that's the case for whether you are married with kids at the house, or married without kids with at the house, or you're, 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 you're single, or you're, you're unemployed, whatever the case, you can state it most succinctly this way. Work has value for your household. 
But you'd say, well, what if, what if I am employed? Or what if it's not going well and, and COVID has messed with everything? And I, or what do you say? I've been on the line at Caterpillar for the last 18 years. I've been making the same widget on one of those mining trucks for way too long. Then you know what scripture would say? This, should be, this business of going to work every day has the possibility of providing us with some joy. So would it be feasible that maybe you should consider some new training or education? Oh, I know it's hard. But there's nothing within Scripture that says you have to do the same thing every day, all day long for, the, for 45 years. No. Get to the place, friends, where your aspirations equal your abilities. We have these aspirations and our abilities are here. Then why don't you raise your aspirations to your abilities? You can do that. It's going to require effort. Who are we kidding? I get that. But the adventure of life is in front of you. Here's why. This is what's most important today. Doing is different than being. Being is far more important. Here's what I mean. When you were sitting in Miss Hogan's class in the fourth grade, you were probably asked the wrong question. We were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we'd say things like, oh, firefighter. Kids these days would say pilot or a doctor. I want to drive the garbage truck. <laughs> Somebody is saying, I want to be the engineer that puts those rolling grills together. Fair enough. But I wonder, do we set up our kids for struggle when we say, what do you want to be? And then they answer with the vocation of what they want to do. And we fail to notice the slight difference, but in fact, is a huge difference. Your being is not what you do. You may have the lowest menial job in the community. You may have the job that has the highest profile. But neither of those extremes describe your being. They simply describe what you do. What is your being? Well, your being is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's found in an understanding of your uniqueness before God. It's found in knowing that you were created in your mother's womb like no one else. Your fingerprints are yours alone. And whether you leave your fingerprints on a corporate desk or on a kitchen stove, on the steering wheel of a, tr of a truck, or whether, or not you leave, whether you may leave your fingerprints on a widget, on a component in a Caterpillar mining truck. None of that, where your fingerprint is, defines you. That's only what you do. Instead, here's who you are. You are a child of God, destined to make work that is God-worthy, Christ-honoring, and where the Holy Spirit is present on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. That's your overall being. That's your full calling. That's who you are. Work is what you do. Psalm 128 and walking with God is about your being. Your value is not defined by what you do for a living or a hobby. To that end this morning, let me say quickly, if you're with us today here in the, bu in, in the building, the West or the East Auditorium, if you're joining us online or however else it may be, if you don't know about your value in Jesus Christ, could we chat with you about that? Could, could, could I introduce you to the Lord and Savior who, who describes what my being is long before what I do? If you'd like to get into a conversation with that, 
here in the building, grab one of the pastors by the elbow and let's have a chat. Or if you'd like to do it online, in the room or online, just text the word Jesus to the church's main number, 217-875-3350. We'd like to have a discussion with you. And all, all of that, if I may, brings us back to the gas station and the rolling grill of hot dogs, because I, I still have some more thoughts about that. You know I would, right? Um, I wondered about, the, and interestingly, after the service last night, I got, a, I got an email from a guy who actually helped make those, who was in the service. Fascinating. He was an, he was an aluminum engineer. It's a long story, but a lovely story. Fascinating stuff. But how does an engineer who makes things for gas stations know if his or her job, if, if, they've, if they've done the job successfully? I mean, hot dogs that go round and round without getting burned, I suppose, is one way in which you go, okay, that's a success. Um, on another trip, this is a couple of years ago now, probably maybe 18 months ago, Brian and I were together again in a car going somewhere. We had to stop and get gas again in another gas station. We do do more than buy gas when we go on a trip, but nonetheless, it just so happens these two things come together. And I'll be candid. I was in the men's room, and um, you know how men's room, or I suppose the same as in ladies, I'm not in the habit of going in the ladies' rooms, but I assume it's the same in the ladies' rooms, that there are a lot of places now where there's no paper towels, but you have this thing that dries your hands by, you put your hand under this blow dryer, right? It's a hair dryer turned upside down, apparently, or something or other. Well, those, those dryers are made, apparently, by, primarily by a company called World Dryers. And the World Dryer engineers have decided they have a new approach to hot air. They are now... I just learned this on this trip 18 months ago. They are now multifunctional. World dryers slim, they're called. Hmm. World dryers slim. An engineer obviously thought, we can improve our sales and our company's impact. Um, they hug the world more tightly and we'll call them slim. So I tried out the new machine called Slim. And I stood there and stood there long enough that Brian was quite concerned where I was and came looking for me. And he said, what you doing? I'm standing here. I said, it says I'm going to get slim. I'm waiting. <laughs> and it was my observation after being there for about five minutes, I was going to weigh as much walking out the door as I walked in. And my response to that was, the engineer failed. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, <laughs> I would suppose, God, all of us every day have the responsibility to uh, do this, that, and the other that is um, to be certain that we can provide for our households and look after our families, God. Um, some people, Lord, are in the place where that's no longer possible or feasible. They're maybe unemployed or retired and trying to figure out what do I do with my life each day. And God, I have this sense that the call of Genesis is that we are to be productive. We're to um, do things that help us plan for generations ahead. God, I pray for everybody here today in different vocational settings or at home and trying to figure out what's tomorrow hold. I pray, Lord, that in what we do, we would say, okay, that's what we do. But in who we are, 
That's because of the work of Jesus Christ within us. And so, Lord, let us start there. Help us to help our children to start there in a relationship with Christ long before we worry about what they're going to do. But who are they? How do they relate to you, God? Our prayer, O oh Father, is that we would walk in obedience before you in everything we do, and particularly in who we are. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Respond in worship.
When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. I'd like to uh, take just a moment to invite you to be people of, be people of prayer with me today. Um, our nation is embarking on a new endeavor for the next four years. And this is what the scripture says in regards to what's in front of us. Paul, when writing to the young uh, pastor at Ephesus, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, I urge that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he lists, in addition to all people, he specifically calls out some in particular. So he says, I urge the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, so that as we pray for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And this is good. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so in light of our nation's new four-year endeavor, Let's be people of prayer. Let's be people who acknowledge what the scripture calls us to do. Let's pray together. Father, we would come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, we know there are differing opinions within our own church and certainly across our nation about how to interpret uh, re the recent national election. We know there are differing opinions on what's the best policy position on any variety of issues. At the extremes, Lord, there might be differences of opinion regarding whether this is a period of exaltation for our nation or perhaps humbling, a humbling of our nation's story. I, Lord, most of all, I want to land here with you, God. I want to do what Scripture instructs, and that is to with petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving, pray for those in authority. And so to that end, God, for our nation and for our new leaders, we pray. We pray for our new president, Biden. We pray for our vice president, Harris. We pray for con congressional leaders. Lord, we pray that your grace in Jesus Christ would be discovered and displayed in those people. We pray that your wisdom, God, would be given to them for decisions that are best for our nation. And God, may your refining work carry on in this land until each and every person who's known as an American, may each American have the experience of pursuing an equality of life along with those powerful unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we will thank you for that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.